are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. As always, glad to have you tuning in. Jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to continue our postseason awards, looking at the biggest surprise for the Seahawks in 2021. We have a number of players that are viable candidates for that award. We're going to start our position-by-position grade review with the quarterback position, and we're going to be talking a little bit about how things are starting to change already with the outlook for Seattle's schedule for the 2022 season. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. A few weeks ago, Rob, you and I had a chance to take our first look at the Seahawks' upcoming 17-game schedule for the 2022 season. And one thing that we both made clear was that this schedule is going to be viewed a lot differently throughout the offseason than what it was when we first introduced it because teams are going to undergo immense changes in free agency, the draft, and it feels like this offseason is going to be full of plenty of drama around the league. There could be some major quarterback movement. Today, Sean Payton, head coach of the Saints, officially walked away, will not be coaching in 2022. So that is a big domino with the Seahawks scheduled to play all four teams in the NFC South next year. They're playing in New Orleans They won't be facing a team coached by Sean Payton. And, of course, Tom Brady creating a lot of speculation with comments he made on his podcast yesterday about considering his family when he makes a decision whether he's going to play next year or not. Got to wonder if he's going to suit up for another game. He might have played his last game this past weekend in the playoffs against the Rams. He's going to be 45 years old. This might be the time to walk away. And so it's really interesting already how these rosters and the coaching staffs are changing and and how that changes the view of the Seahawks upcoming schedule. Yeah, that's the thing, Corbin, is that, uh, you know, we are going to see a a significant amount of transition this year. You you could say that in every NFL offseason, but, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are predicting that this is going to be the offseason in which you see so many quarterbacks, uh, you know, change where they're going to be playing. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is expected to retire. There's a lot of speculation that Tom Brady, as you just mentioned, might retire. Who knows what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Um, And those are just three of the biggest names out there. Um, From a draft perspective, I can tell you this is an NFL draft, Corbin. It it just isn't that gifted at the quarterback position. We saw a record year last year. Five quarterbacks go within the top 15 draft selections. That's never happened in the history of the NFL. And as you might expect, the the cupboard is pretty bare in comparison this season. So I, I do think that we are going to see some teams that look very, very good right now not look quite so good when we get to August and September and obviously the flip side as well. So the, the news today that the Sean Payton has basically announced to the world that he is not going to be coaching the New Orleans Saints next season, does not expect to be coaching anybody next season. I think it's appropriate that those who are watching us on YouTube right now can, can see you and I are both wearing black, maybe in homage 
to Sean Payton, uh, you know, one of the great coaches in all of the NFL, of course, the black and gold that is the New Orleans Saints, that significantly changes things from a Seattle Seahawks perspective. Because, again, as you mentioned, Seattle's going to be playing that entire NFC South division. So if Sean Payton is not the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, if Tom Brady is not the, the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who knows what's going to happen with Matt Ryan, the Atlanta Falcons, the Carolina Panthers, with all due respect to former Seahawks top scout Scott Fitterer, they look like a team that's very much in, you know, a little bit of transition here. I mean, I thought that that looked like a couple of weeks ago as a possible two and two kind of schedule for the Seahawks going up against the NFC South. I see no reason to suggest that the Seahawks cannot go four and oh against the NFC South a year from now. Should things, you know, wind up going the way that they look, at least here on January 25th. Obviously, Tampa Bay's got a lot of talent away from Tom Brady, but we know what that team looked like before Brady arrived. They couldn't get to the playoffs, even with the talent they had on both sides of the ball. I would anticipate that Tampa Bay would be able to move quickly to try to get another quarterback in, not they're going to be able to get another Tom Brady. I actually wonder if Aaron Rodgers might have interest in going to Tampa Bay if somehow Tom Brady decides to retire. I mean, there are a lot of dominoes here, but the NFC South – That looks like a division that could be in decline. I do think New Orleans is still going to be very competitive, and especially if they keep Dennis Allen as their head coach. He's done a fantastic job as a defensive coordinator. It would just be a much different team than what we've seen for most of the time that Sean Payton was there. But you take him and Tom Brady out of the equation. Matt Ryan's getting towards the end of his career. Carolina was a mess for the last three quarters of the season. They need to find a quarterback still. So that's looking like a favorable division for the Seahawks to play against next year. Now, as for the AFC West, that's the other non-NFC West division. They're going to be playing all four teams. We already know about Patrick Mahomes and his great greatness. That was reaffirmed this weekend. We know the Chargers have a rising quarterback in Justin Herbert. The Raiders made the playoffs behind Derek Carr. And, oh, by the way, the Denver Broncos have a very talented roster away from quarterback, and that has been the number one landing spot that has been listed for Aaron Rodgers if he leaves Green Bay. So that could end up being a brutal division for the Seahawks to play against, especially if the Broncos go out and get a quarterback of Rodgers' caliber when you're already going to have to face Mahomes, Herbert, and Carr. That could be a division where it's tough to get more than one or two wins against because of the caliber quarterbacks and the talent that these rosters in the AFC West bring to the table. So there's going to continue to be speculation about what's going to be happening here over the next few months. We don't know where Aaron Rodgers is going to be. We don't know what's going to happen with Tom Brady. We don't know what's going to happen with some of these other teams that are clearly in transition. But for now, looks like the NFC South is trending downward as a division. AFC West, they're riding high with the Chiefs going back to the AFC Championship game. Chargers look like they're going to be a team you don't want to play for the next decade with Justin Herbert. Carr's done a great job with the Raiders. That is maybe the most ideal landing spot for head coaches right now available with the talent they have in their roster. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out here in the next few months. But the Seahawks are going to have some very challenging games against both those divisions. These rosters are going to continue to have shuffling going on during free agency and the drafts. It's going to be fun to periodically keep looking at that schedule as things change with all of these respective rosters for their opponents this upcoming season. We're going to continue our postseason awards here in a moment. The biggest surprise on the Seahawks, a number of players that are deserving of that honor. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march towards the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online is the top spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. 
It's a new year. They've got a new updated desktop and mobile website. So make sure to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available in 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager in all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We got a big show coming up during Super Bowl week. The Peacock and Williamson show is going to hit the road and go to L.A. for Super Bowl week. Follow the Peacock and Williamson NFL show today to get the most comprehensive coverage of the big game. It's free and available on all platforms. We're going to continue our postseason awards. Yesterday, we looked at Offensive Lineman of the Year, maybe the one I was most excited about because I just love talking about offensive line play. Now we're going to transition to the biggest surprise. Now, in the past, we've looked at players. We've looked at position groups. We've looked at maybe storylines from the season that were surprising. This year, we decided there's enough players alone to make this just a player-oriented award. There were a number of players, in spite of the fact the team finished 7-10 and 10 and in last place in the NFC West, that really exceeded expectations this year. And I know there are a couple players that you are very excited to nominate for this award. Well, I think for one, Al Woods. I mean, he, he's a player, 34 years old, set out the, the, the prior season. I thought, okay, this is a guy, I'm not even sure that he is going to be worthy of a roster spot worthy of a roster spot you could argue that he was seattle's most de de dominant defensive player not just defensive lineman defensive player over the second half of the season he was absolutely spectacular corbin and so uh to me i think that he absolutely has to be among the players that we list as a positive surprise considering that he did literally nothing for the Seahawks a year ago, but he wasn't the only one. You could make an argument for Rasheem Green. You could make an argument for Sidney Jones. I, I think that a lot of people out there are just screaming Rashad Penny, but of course, you and I, as Rashad Penny fans, you know, kind of congratulate the Seahawks when they made that selection in the first round a year ago. And there's a lot of people out there who suggested that, why are you drafting a running back in the first round? To me, this is not a surprise that he was successful, but I think that we at least have to kind of tip the cap to the fact that he was among the most dominant players in all of the NFL over the last half of the or the last quarter of the season a year ago. Yeah, I think Penny definitely deserves to be in discussion for this award just for what he did in those five games. But I'm viewing this, and maybe our listeners have gotten adrift on this with the other awards. I'm viewing this as a year-long award. And obviously, Rashad Penny hardly played until the last five games of the season. And so, while I considered him, I think the biggest surprise for me was Rasheem Green. Because this is another 2018 draft pick that, I'm going to be honest, you can go back and you can listen to our podcast back in late July and early August. I thought for sure that Rasheem Green was going to be on the chopping block. I didn't, not only did I think he wasn't going to play much, I thought he was going to get cut. And this was before they released Alden Smith. Alden Smith looked really good that first week in camp. And I thought if he's there, you've got Benson Mayoa, you just signed Kerry Hyder, Carlos Dunlap's back, Daryl Taylor, Alton Robinson, LJ Collier. 
where does Rasheem Green even fit into this after having injuries and struggling with consistency his first three seasons? Yes, he's still a very young player, but at some point, you just got to cut your ties. I thought they were heading that direction, but then things just started to click for Green, especially in the preseason games, and played really well. Had a couple sacks, played really well against the run, three tackles for loss in exhibition games. And he was playing multiple spots. They actually started to play him some as a wide nine. Leo occasionally. I mean, they were moving him everywhere. And he seemed to thrive with that. And this year was fantastic for him. Six and a half sacks tied for second on the team. He had a bunch of pressures this year. Pressure percentage wasn't great. But you have to remember that that's not necessarily supposed to be his game. This is not supposed to be a pin your ears off the edge, get a 15% pressure rate kind of guy. He's going to win with power, and he's going to force his way into the backfield occasionally, and that's what he was able to do this year. I just felt like when you look at the with the, look at the season he had, he started 15 of the 17 games. He played in every single game. Career highs in tackles, sacks, quarterback hits. Got his hands on a bunch of footballs for pass breakups at the line of scrimmage. All in all, he had a fantastic year, and there's still a lot of areas to improve. I thought his run defense, he's still got to get his run fits to be a bit more consistent, but this is a kid that took a big step forward. And I actually think that he might be one of their more important free agents to keep just because of the fact there's still so much untapped potential and he's got youth in his side. He's going to turn 25 here in a few months. So he is still a puppy that's got a lot of room to grow, very versatile. So he would be my top pick. I think one other name to throw out there that would at least deserve some consideration that wasn't even on the team till the end of August is Sidney Jones. None of us expected Sidney Jones was going to come in and not only be a respectable starter in the second half, he was playing like a top 15, top 20 cornerback in the second half after Trey Brown went down. First couple games he started before Brown got in the lineup, Jones really struggled. You could tell he was trying to get acclimated, acclimated to the scheme and struggling with that a little bit. But once he got back in the lineup, less than a 60% completion rate, had almost double-digit pass breakups the second half of the season. I mean, this kid was fantastic. And Oh, by the way, he's only 25. He's still a young player that's had injuries. There still might be a long-term starter in this particular player, a former second-round pick out of Washington. So I, I liked the way that he came up and hit people, too. That was his biggest weakness coming to Seattle. He really changed his game in that regard. He was willing to come up and hit people and was pretty effective finishing off ball carriers and getting them to the ground. So I don't think he's deserving of the award over Rasheem Green, but certainly he was a surprise coming into the starting lineup in the second half of the season. Oh, he absolutely was a surprise. I mean, and I was a big fan of Sidney Jones, you know, but at the same time, as you just mentioned, I mean, one of the things in which he completely transitioned his game was how physical he was in run support. I mean, he was one of Seattle's most effective open field tacklers, laid the wood on a couple of guys, and I wasn't expecting that. You know, frankly, I think that uh, Seattle got really good play from the other cornerback spot with DJ Reed, but I think there's a lot of people out there, Corbin, who suggested that maybe DJ Reed might flatten off as well. Instead, he ascended. You know, and so to me, that was one of the positive surprises of this past season. Now, if you if we want to get 
you know, negative. Uh, I think that you could argue that a negative surprise was that Chris Carson wasn't able to stay healthy and, you know, struggled as much as he did. Maybe Gerald Everett did not live up to the expectations. And, you know, Puna Ford would be another one who, who signed back on a deal, didn't have the splashy performances. But at the same time, I think that the fact that Seattle finished the season as well as they did, despite having a couple of disappointing performances, to me, that is one of the, the real the, the themes of this season is that everything it felt like went poorly for the Seahawks this past season. And yet they still finished seven and 10. And yet there still are two teams from the NFC West who are competing for the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl next year. To me, that is one of the quote unquote surprises this year is that the Seahawks, even with all of the negativity there was this season, still feels like a contender moving into next year as well. Yeah, going three and three against the division, it shows that they are really not that far off. They've been able to compete against good teams. They just lost too many games they had no business losing this year, and they weren't able to finish. One other name I want to throw in here real quick, because you threw Al Woods in. I think that we'd be remiss not to mention Jay Curhan. And obviously you and I both liked what we saw from him in the preseason. But if you would have told me that he's going to end up starting five games at right tackle at the end of the season – I would have been expecting him to give up a handful of sacks and really have his troubles in pass protection and didn't know what to expect from his, him as a run blocker. I mean, it's an undrafted rookie starting games on your offensive line. Seattle doesn't have a good track record with drafted linemen, let alone undrafted players. And yet he went out there, gave up one sack the last five games, was just mauling people in the run game. There are things he's going to have to work on in pass protection, but he looks like he's the favorite right now to start at right tackle next season, and nobody could have saw that coming. So to me, he was one of the bigger surprises. But again, I'm going to go with Rasheem Green. You love the Al Woods selection as well for, for different reasons. There are different reasons that these players surprise. But uh, all in all, I think you and I can both agree in a season where a lot of guys didn't live up to their expectations along the defensive line, there were players like Woods and Green that really stepped up and played a big part in the Seahawks having one of the best yards per carry against the run game and picking things up late in the season, rushing opposing quarterbacks. Speaking of quarterbacks, we're going to talk about Seattle's QBs and what transpired during the 2021 season coming up here in our third quarter Make sure to check out this incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use the promo code TOUCHDOWN and you can get 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card, such as Amazon and other brands. Download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Going to be kicking off a new series here as we do every year, Rob. We like to take an individual look position by position at the way things played out in the previous season. So we're going to start with the most important position in the NFL, in the sport of football, quarterback. And obviously going into this season, 
the Seahawks had been pretty darn fortunate. Russell Wilson in his first nine seasons had never missed a single start in the regular season or postseason due to injury. He missed a handful of snaps in the game against the 49ers in 2015. Take that game out of the equation. Unless they were blowing somebody out and he had a backup replace him in mop-up duty, he played every snap for the Seahawks. He has been Iron Man. Unfortunately, that run of great fortune came to an end this year when Russell Wilson suffered a torn tendon in his right middle finger against the Rams in week five, needed surgery, missed three games, came back, wasn't the same player for three or four weeks. So really, this was a six or seven game injury that impacted the Seahawks, and they lost the vast majority of those games. And that's one of the big reasons they ended the year seven and ten, missed the playoffs for the first time since 2017. And yet, I think if you look at the way things played out at the beginning of the season and late in the year when Russell Wilson started to play more like we are accustomed to, I think the narrative that Russell Wilson is on a steep decline is probably a bit of an exaggeration. He still looks like he can be a top five, top 10 caliber quarterback when he's fully healthy and he's got a run game to supplement. That's the way that he played at the end of the season, Corbin, is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, a Super Bowl uh, kind of quarterback, an MVP caliber kind of quarterback. And that that is going to be one of the fascinating conversations that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have to have with themselves over the offseason is, do they believe that Russell Wilson can play to that level? What he had done in his previous nine seasons and as well as the beginning and end of this past year, but it's those middle games that are are troubling. The, the fact that Geno Smith did play pretty good football, but now has a DUI arrest, that is frightening. Who knows what the Seahawks have in, in Jacob Beeson, a super talented quarterback, but a guy who is, you know, going back to his collegiate days, University of Washington and Georgia, was not perceived to be the most reliable guy. You know, so to me, that that's that's the thing. Is Seahawks fans, you, you've had it so easy for almost the last decade that if you're going to have a conversation in the offseason about the quarterback position, then it's like, okay, yeah, it's number three. And you just kind of know that's the conversation. Now the Seahawks actually have to evaluate a little bit. So I, I look forward to these conversations. I really think it's going to be fascinating. I think that that Russell Wilson and the the growing familiarity that he showed in Shane Waldron's offense down the stretch of the season is very much reason for optimism. But at the same time, the Seahawks have got to be very confident that he is the guy. Because as we talked about just a couple of moments ago, Corbin, I mean, this is the offseason where we're expecting to see a, a great deal of transition at the quarterback position. This is a year in 2022 when the Seahawks are going to be having a fourth place schedule. The time is now. You actually can compete. I think that the Seahawks potentially have a more exciting uh, season ahead of them than they had a year ago. And not a lot of people were believing that, but I certainly believe that. But at the same time, they absolutely have to get the quarterback position right. Is Russell Wilson the guy? I think that he is, but at the same time, he has to prove it yet again. And that, to me, is one of the most interesting uh, conversations of all the offseason, not just from a Seattle perspective, but across the entire NFL. I'm glad that you pointed out the familiarity with Shane Waldron's offense, because I think that that is something that, as the year progressed, especially after he started to turned things around following his injury, it became clear that there were just some things that he, quite frankly, was not great at 
that he was getting acclimated to with this new offense. And you could tell the coordinator himself, he's trying to adjust as a first-time coordinator to the players that he has. And so, you know, that's something that we talked about midway through the season. Is this a one-and-done case for Shane Waldron? I think he did more than enough towards the end of the season with the way the offense was humming, a healthy quarterback in Russell Wilson, that he earned himself that second season. They weren't going to move on from him at that point. But that familiarity aspect is one reason to be very optimistic about Russell Wilson moving into 2022, that he is going to return to form that we saw before this season. And yet, he's he had 25 touchdown passes still this year, Rob. It's not like the numbers as a whole are horrific. He had over 3,000 passing yards, 25 touchdowns, only through six picks. So he still wasn't turning the football over very much. We saw him start to use his legs a little bit more late in the season. The Arizona game, that was a big part of their win, was his ability to move the pocket and create as a runner, trucking Buda Baker across the goal line for a touchdown. I mean, your team's not going to the playoffs, and yet he was giving that kind of an effort in that final game. So it looks to me, yeah, he's maybe lost a step or two, but he can still be a threat with his legs when he needs to be. The throwing strength and the accuracy are still there. It's clear the finger was still bugging him when he came back from surgery those first couple of weeks because he was misfiring on throws that he normally is going to make in his sleep. And he was airmailing a lot of slants and shorter throws. We saw that start to change the last four or five games where he was looking more like his old self and connecting on the majority of those passes. And so I think you look at what he did this season. There's still a lot of bright spots, especially before the injury. Late in the season, we saw more of a typical Pro Bowl version of Russell Wilson the biggest area that he has to improve going into next year. And I think this goes in part with that familiarity aspect. He's got to be better on third down. The entire Seahawks offense struggled there, but a big part of it was the fact that Russell Wilson completed less than 50% of his throws on third downs. He has got to be much better there to help sustain drives. If he's able to do that and he gets more comfortable with this offensive scheme as we think he's going to, then he's got a chance to go out and put up 35, 40 touchdowns, and suddenly this Seahawks team could be a threat in the NFC once again. I'm going to give him a B for the season. It wasn't near his best, but when you look at the beginning and the end of the season, around that injury, you saw a lot of bright spots, and there's reason for optimism. He was still better than most quarterbacks you're going to see in the league when you look at his season holistically. No, I, I agree with that. He was absolutely better than most quarterbacks. I think that if you're looking at it from a Russell Wilson perspective, I think you're talking C minus maybe. I mean, he he was average compared to what Russell Wilson has demonstrated in the past. I think that he did make a mistake. I think, frankly, the Seahawks made a mistake in allowing him to push himself onto the field as early as he did. I mean, he was very impressive with his want to in coming back from the injury, but we talked about it, Corbin. He was not the same guy. Proof was in the pudding. I mean, he was terrible. As you said, yep. he was airmailing passes that he normally makes in his sleep. And that was as obvious as it can get. Um, but at the same time, uh, at, you know, he did come back and play really good football down the stretch. You know what a superstar that you have at the quarterback position. We just saw uh, you know, a, a weekend of football in the NFL that was as good as it gets from the quarterback position. And yet, did any of those quarterbacks throw the football any better? 
than Russell Wilson does when Russell Wilson is really on track. And that's the conversation is that there are only a handful of teams in the NFL who have a quarterback who can even compete with Russell Wilson when he is on fire. So the idea of trading him away, unless you are going to get just a, you know, just an incredible ransom of draft picks and and veteran players, uh, you know, as compensation, I think is laughable. Russell Wilson is still easily the best quarterback the Seahawks have ever had. And so I think that they have to continue to build around him. He is an absolute superstar. He is the guy that can bring a Lombardi trophy back to Seattle. So to me, again, that's what's going to be fascinating about this is, is he that player? Or is he, as an aging player, just like we've seen in every other position in the NFL, is he a guy who's going to kind of fade off into the distance? That's something that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have to kind of figure out this year in a draft class that, again, is not very good at the quarterback position, all the more reason why Seattle probably has to kind of double down on number three. Yeah, I think that number three is going to be here next year, and there's going to continue to be speculation. You can expect that. There are teams out there that need a quarterback, and as long as that's the case – with what's transpired the last two off-seasons, we know that Russell Wilson's name is going to be thrown around. But Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they are not interested in a rebuild. They are not going to be trading their star quarterback unless they can get another star quarterback back. And I just don't see any path towards them doing that. It just doesn't seem like it would be something that's going to happen this off-season, given the circumstances. What I think the Seahawks really have to figure out is the backup spot. Because Geno Smith, the three games he started in, I'm going to give him a B minus because I know they didn't score a lot of points. He took too many sacks, but he was effective from a completion standpoint. He was able to get the offense moving up and down the field. I thought he did a good job of avoiding turnovers. I mean, he did what you need your backup quarterback to be able to do. And I thought he had a really good rapport with DK Metcalf, which is also crucial. When you're talking about a backup quarterback, he's got to have a guy that he can go to. And Metcalf and him seem to hit it off. So from that standpoint, you would think, You've had Geno Smith for three years. He has started a lot of games in the league. Why not just keep him as your backup? And then, as you mentioned, he gets the DUI after the season finale. And I think that that might actually be a big enough deal the Seahawks decide, you know what, we're just going to move a different direction. I don't know if that's Jacob Eason. I mean, I, I know they're intrigued by him. They claimed him off the Colts waivers for a reason. They really like his arm and his physical tools. That has never been deniable. It's always been turning those into actual production on the field. Maybe he's a guy that they're interested in developing, but you talked about all the quarterback carousels they are going to be going on. I think there's going to be some quality players out there looking for backup jobs too. So as well as Geno Smith played, I think if he doesn't have that DUI, there's a very strong chance that he's back as Russell Wilson's backup. Now, I think 50-50 would be putting it kindly with the way Seahawks have handled things like this in the past with backup players. And I would be really surprised if he's back next year to be all honest well that i think that's going to be an interesting conversation uh for seattle moving down the stretch because you know as you just graded the b minus um I, I thought that geno smith was not only above average as far as a backup quarterback he was he was pretty damn reliable considering what he had to you know kind of operate with um but at the same time that that dui arrest again it is significant the fact that we do expect to see so much transition at the quarterback position i, I think that one of the most underrated 
underrated positions in all the NFL, Corbin, is that backup quarterback. You have to have a mindset that you are the starter. You're going to prepare every single week as if you're the starter in case that there is a random injury out there and suddenly you're pushed into starting action. You have to be ready to compete. There's a lot of guys who are starting or at least started several games this past season who I'm not so sure are actually the kind of the quote-unquote ideal backup that they are going to take time off because, okay, Russell Wilson's the starter. I don't have to even prepare, and therefore they're not ready if they're called upon. That is one of the things I always kind of respected about Geno Smith and some of the other backup quarterbacks that the Seattle has had over the past years, that they just have always kind of had a guy who fits in stylistically with what Russell Wilson has been asked to do. And then just from a mental and a heart kind of standpoint, they were that guy. I don't know that Jacob Beeson is that guy yet. Maybe he is. That's what's going to be fascinating to me uh, as this moves forward. But uh, again, I think that Geno Smith is a good quarterback. I think that he could start for a number of teams in the NFL. And I would not say that about many backup quarterbacks in the NFL. I absolutely think that he is among the 10 best backup quarterbacks in the league. But at the same time, as you just mentioned, Seattle has had a, you know, kind of a negative attitude about guys who make off-field uh, you know, mistakes. And Geno Smith certainly did that, putting his future in Seattle very much in doubt. I don't think you can go into this next season with Jacob Eason as your backup for Russell Wilson, at least not as the only guy and not competing for that job. If they bring in another veteran and Eason outperforms him, then great. That's awesome. You couldn't ask for anything better. you got a young quarterback that has the physical tools to be a starter caliber player, and you have a veteran backup competing against him. It brings out the best of him in the preseason. Okay, cool. That's a win-win for everybody. But you can't go into next season with Russell Wilson. Well, we think Jacob Easton's the number two guy and not having anybody else there. Does that mean you bring Geno back? Do you bring in another veteran that's on the market? We'll have to see. But the assumption here on Locked on Seahawks is that number three will be the starter under center. And the big question mark for the Seahawks is trying to figure out what that backup spot's going to look like. Do they bring Geno back despite the DUI? Or do they bring somebody else in to compete against Jacob Eason for that backup spot? That'll be a big question mark that maybe isn't getting a lot of pub this offseason that the Seahawks will have to figure out moving forward. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course you can stream our show for free on YouTube as well. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, going to continue our postseason awards, shifting to the defensive line, going to be a very defensive line-centric episode as we will be looking at defensive linemen of the year and we'll be recapping what went down at the defensive end position during the 2021 season. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. As always, go Hawks.